<laughs> what are you doing up here? You asked me to be up here. Why? Um, You're blaming. You just threw me under the bus. This is very impromptu. <laughs> so what are you doing up here? What are you going to talk about? You asked me the questions. You interview me. I just did. I know, but you didn't tell me why I'm up here. Oh, <laughs> what's that sign back there say? Dillon Community Church Retreat. Tell us about the retreat or why you're going. I'm going because I want to fellowship with everybody. But I heard that it was just families with kids that were going. Well, my kids are grown up, but they're not coming with me. But you're still coming? I'm coming to be with everybody, including visitors. If you guys want to fly back, that would be fun, too. I wonder how many of these people have not heard about the retreat. If you don't know about our retreat, raise your hand. Oh, wow. That's way too many. That's way too many. They're probably from out of town. They're probably from out of town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> September 9th, 10th, and 11th, 9-11. I know it's easy to remember in our culture. We have an all-church retreat. So we're here until the Sunday before, and then the very next Sunday, we're going on an all-church retreat. Our church building will about be open. We're all going to be retreating together. And if you, if you look, and by the way, up back there, there's a table. You can stop, and you can find out information. You can register. You can just get information if you want. Uh, refreshed, connected, purpose. Those are our themes. So refreshed, one of the goals we have is we're just enjoying what God is doing. How many of you are enjoying this environment right now? Let me see. Does that feel refreshing to you? Yeah, we want to get away and enjoy what God is doing. We're going to YMCA of the Rockies. So there's information in the bulletin, and uh, you guys need to register. Thank you. I just have to say one more thing. Is say, that okay? You can say two more things. <laughs> okay, a few weeks ago, Mike and I had breakfast with you, which, by the way, he loves to go out to breakfast and take people out. Um, and I said to you, Pastor Jim, I really want to grow closer to God. I just really need to get in the word. And you said, do you remember what you said? You said, Peggy, that's great, get in the word, but you know what? You need a fellowship. So that's why where I'm going. Peggy, I can't remember on Tuesday what I said on Tuesday. I know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. So. Yeah, one minute you don't want to talk, and they'll look. All right, if you uh, have your bulletin on the inside, there's uh, some things I want to call attention to you, call your attention to, I should say. One is the retreat. Uh, we have there, why is July 22nd important? That's coming up. Because July 22nd, we have to give them a firm count. So that's a deadline for registering for the retreat. So you might check that off. Also today, after church at 1130, our church is in a discussion on uh, the role of women. And so the elders have done a lot of work on theology of gender and sexuality. And so we've been having conversations as a church on whether uh, how we feel about women being elders. Our elders, our elders came to the conclusion that we have freedom in this area, and so we're turning it over to the membership of our church, but the Q&A is open to anybody. So if you're interested in talking about this at 1130, right after the church, at our church building, when we're done here, we're going to have that. Lunch is provided, and the way to get there, if you're curious, you've never been there, is just take this road by Rappo Cafe to the stop sign, turn right, it circles around, you can't miss it, church is big. So come, 1130, and be a part of it, Okay. There's still a few tickets left for Faith Day, so if you want to go to that, make sure you do that. Uh, get signed up. Again, back in the back up top, you can get information there. And then the Summer Hoedown at Keystone Stables. If you've not been to this, CASA puts it on. It is worth going to. I went for the first time last year. It's fantastic. It's worth checking out. 
and uh, she could use uh, your encouragement, as all the ministries in our county do. All right, I want to talk a little bit about Dallas, <coughs> what happened there. Um, first, in your bulletin, there's a little tear-off. If you have a prayer request or you want to have coffee with Mark or me or whoever, just turn that in, fill it in, put what you want, and we'll call you. Um, uh, we'll get you sometime in the next week or two and see if we can get together. I just came back. I got back last night from Dallas, Texas. I was down there uh, speaking at Dallas Seminary. And um, in fact, I had dinner with my son about an hour before the uh, shooting occurred. We were right downtown, very close to that. And we uh, went home and heard the next morning what had happened. And so I had a chance to speak at the seminary. And then I went out to lunch with a whole bunch of students that wanted to kind of process this. We're going to stop in just a moment and pray for those people. Uh, this is a, a new chapter in our life. It's no longer shooting. It's now shooting law enforcement people, the people that have committed their life to protecting you. And uh, Dallas is in a turmoil right now. They're in a state of shock. Uh, I know that we are, but it's very personal for them because they're there. And I'd like to stop and pray for them and the people in Minnesota and the people in uh, Louisiana and... This is a nerve-wracking thing. It is. You know, there's, there's two ways to begin to control morality. One is through legislation. The other one is through transformation. I don't have anything to do with legislation. But we as a people of God have something to do with transformation, don't we? And uh, our people need to know about Jesus. They do. Let's stop and pray. Father, we lift up to you, Lord. The people of Dallas, <coughs> Lord, they're shocked. I pray for the families of the fallen police officers. I pray, Lord, that you would be with them in a very special way today. Um, during this time of grieving, Lord, trying to make sense of what just happened. Lord, I, I'm not sure there is a way to make sense of it. It's just beyond what we're created for. And Lord, the people in the city that are traumatized by this. It's real close and personal to them. Lord, I pray for the people in Minnesota and the people in uh, Louisiana that, that uh, their states got to watch on live video screaming as somebody was shot. Lord, I can't make sense of that either. I don't have the wisdom to do that. I, I just pray, Lord, that if there is corruption and evil, that you would deal with it. Lord, I pray for those those families there as well that have been impacted. And Father, as I look across our nation, I see once again a, a deep concern for just people that do evil things and they do them so publicly and blatantly. I just pray, God, that you would help us. We're in an election year, Lord. Bring us leaders at every level that can help us live wise lives and know how to, to respond to this and to deal with it. And Father, I pray for those people, um, Lord, that, that maybe feel ostracized, uh, that maybe feel victimized and targeted. Lord, help us to know how to reconcile. We're not very good at it. We never have been. From the history of the world, through at the beginning to now, recorded history, we have example after example after example of how terrible we are at reconciling and forgiving and uh, accepting people different from us. Continue to give us wisdom, Lord, and help us to do that. It's so vital in your plan 
your kingdom that we learn how to love one another well and forgive and reconcile. So God, I just pray for your grace during this time in our country. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, we're in the middle of the Psalms. Today we're going to take a look at Psalm 16. Last week we looked at Psalm 8 and we talked about the majesty of God, specifically the majesty of God because for whatever reason he chose to glorify you knuckleheads using Mark's term. So blame Mark for that. You knuckleheads, you idiots, you fallen people. By the way, you're just like me. He chose to glorify himself through you, through us. That's how he demonstrates his majesty. It's spectacular. Who would have ever thought about that? No other religion teaches that, that we have a God who magnifies himself by glorifying us. He gives us his glory. The Bible talks about the fact that we get to share in his glory. What an incredible, incredible thing to have happen. Two weeks, uh, two weeks ago, the week before that, we talked about Psalm 5, and I shared with you my own personal lament. Some of you were here for that, the losing of my first wife, having to say goodbye to her, and as a lament, and how God worked through that process, I was only 25 years old, how he worked through that process to build a stronger faith in me, and the lament, and then we went from there to Psalm 5, and looked at David's lament, and you may remember uh, that I said to you, don't ever read the lament psalms the same way again. When you read a lament psalm, you are stepping into someone's personal struggle, a personal journey that they decided to write down and God decided to keep for our sake so we can see it. And I know it's very popular to read the psalms devotionally. I think that's fantastic and wonderful, but read them personally. And some of you are in the middle of trauma. Some of you are, have your own lament. You're right smack in the middle of it. Today we're going to read a psalm of confidence psalm of confidence. What is that? I got to tell you another story. Five years after Judy died, Nancy and I are now married and we have a third child. Judy and I had two. So Nancy adopted the two and now we're married and have a third child. And um, <clears throat> we were sensing the Lord's call to do something different. I worked in the public utility and internal auditing and so I resigned from that. And uh, by the way, have you ever noticed how sensing the Lord's call is something really messy? It's really hard to do. There's nothing easy about it, is there? Uh, and sometimes I'm glad about that. I'm glad I'm not Jonah. Go. Uh-uh. <laughs> okay, there's a big fish waiting for you. <laughs> Gideon, go. Uh-uh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you sure you want to do that? I'm glad I'm not those folks. I, I live on the other end of the spectrum where to hear God's call is confusing. It's kind of messy. What does it mean to step down from a good-paying job and, and follow him? So we decided we wanted to become missionaries and move to Germany. We had two big problems, really big problems, really, really big problems. One is we didn't know anybody. So who are we going to raise support from? We belonged to a little tiny church of about 200 people, and that's all we knew. So we sent out our prayer letter like we're supposed to do to those 200 people, and sure enough, a week later, we had raised about $200 in support. We had another 4800 to go. We didn't know who to talk to. We didn't know other Christians. Where do we start? The second problem is that we owned a condo. Some of you may remember the late 80s, the uh, market crash at that time. 89 was when this happened. And we owned a condo that I had bought, Judy and I had bought. 
and I had paid $62,000 for it, and I still owed $60,000. We had a 12% VA loan. Remember those days? Remember that, some of you? Yeah. Wow, that's nice, isn't it? <laughs> 12% VA loan, and the condos, I, owed, I still owed sixty, and the two townhouses on either side of me sold for seventeen and eighteen at eighteen at 8% loan. You see the problem. I can't sell it. So we told our church, and a bunch of people in our church said, well, just turn it back over. Just turn it back over to the VA. I'm a veteran. It was VA, had a VA loan. You know, there's, they had 28,000 foreclosures in the month of December. They're not going to do anything. Just turn it back over. And Nancy and I talked about it, and we said, you know, the problem with that is that <laughs> I haven't missed a payment for eight years. Uh, it doesn't seem right to do that. Isn't God bigger than that? So we just said, no, we're not going to do it. We just prayed a simple prayer and said, God, we want to go to Europe to be missionaries. It's really simple to us. You either make it happen or you don't. If you make it happen, we're out of here. If you don't, we'll stay here. And we'll serve you faithfully here. Well, that problem preceded the problem of raising support, or the one big problem after another. And so I was sitting at work one day, and uh, I got a phone call. Is this uh, James Howard at blah, 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 East? East? Yeah, that's me. And he said, uh, I am so-and-so. I am the director of the Veterans Administration, Region 8. And I said, the director as in the top guy? He goes, yep, top guy. I oversee the Veterans Administration for eight states. I understand you want to be a missionary and move to Germany. How do you know that? And he goes, that's not important. What is important is I have taken the time to research you, and I know that you have never missed a payment in eight years. He said, you're the only veteran left in your subdivision that didn't walk away. And he said, I know the rumor out on the street is that we're not going to prosecute and do all that. He said, but I have been given my orders. We're going to prosecute every veteran that walks. He said, now, I'm not a Christian, but I'm very grateful for your integrity, very grateful for your service. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell your townhouse for whatever it's worth. The Veterans Administration, we show up at closing, we'll pay off the difference. It'll never appear in your credit. You don't have to worry about it. You won't lose your veterans' rights. I'm only going to do it one time this year, and that's to you. Now, I had come up with hundreds of scenarios, but the federal government was not one of them. I love our government. I just don't think they're that competent to do that, what he just did. And so he said, this is the last conversation we'll have. You're going to be talking to my deputy. Here's the phone number. To get to her, you're going to have to go through three security checkpoints, the three security codes. On the day you close, those will all cancel. So sure enough, we put our townhouse on the market, sold the next weekend, went to closing. She showed up, and she looked at the numbers, and uh, she said, thank you, Mr. Howard, for your service. Have a great time in Europe. Here's the check. We're out of here. See you. That afternoon, I tried to call her. <laughs> security code didn't work. The Lord stepped in and took care of it. Okay, now we're on to our next dilemma. How do we raise money? We don't know anything. So we just prayed and said, Lord, we're, <laughs> we're stuck in the same boat as we had with the townhouse. Thanks for selling the townhouse, but now you've got to raise the money. If you want us to go to Europe, then you're going to have to raise us because we don't know how. We'll be bold and courageous. We'll go all over the U.S. and talk to whoever you want us to talk to, but we don't know people. I don't even know who to send the letter to. So now we're living in Denver. So I get a phone call. 
from a lady in Michigan. I heard about your ministry in Europe. Are you coming to Michigan? I am now. <laughs> when do you want me there? We picked a date out about four weeks. Perfect. I'll be there. By the way, how'd you hear about us? Oh, I have a friend in Arkansas. I didn't know who that was. So I called that lady and I said, how'd you hear about us? Oh, I have a friend at your church. They told me about us. So over the next week, I had one phone call after another of people that I did not know. Six weeks worth of travel every single day. So we packed the three kids up in our 1974 Scout, and we drove around Michigan, that part of the country, and we shared what God was going to, thought he wanted us to do. And at the end of the six weeks, we'd raised a couple thousand dollars of support. Phone call stopped. We came back home exhausted and fell asleep and slept till noon. Then I got a phone call. Are you coming to Texas? I am now. When do you want us there? Six more weeks of people we did not know. We met them at the door. They had heard about us. That's just God doing his thing. We traveled for six weeks, raised another 2,000 bucks. Came back home exhausted, slept for a month, got another phone call. Are you coming to California? We are now. Six weeks in California, and the phone call stopped, and we raised all our support and moved to Europe. What do you think we felt after those two experiences? Now, remember, five years before, I'd said goodbye to my wife. Some of you have heard both stories. My faith began to grow because of that experience. My confidence began to grow. And then I watched God step in in ways I never expected because I was willing to trust him and put it on the line, to be honest with you. I didn't know what was going to happen. When we got to Germany, I did not realize <coughs> how important those two events were to build my faith. Because when we got to Germany, uh, we required a lot of faith on our part, a whole lot more than I even dreamed possible. But we had confidence. We could look back and say, look what God has done. That's my personal story uh, that I just invited you into of watching God work. Now look at Psalm 16. This is a psalm of confidence. Very different than a lament psalm, but it's still designed to impact us. Still designed to impact us. Do you recognize some of the words? Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, now those are the cap, capitalized letters, L-O-R-D, that's God's name. I say to you, the one true God, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Okay, what's he confident about? Well, let's jump down to the lower part of the psalm, verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Everybody that studies the psalm wonders, what in the world is David talking about here? Okay, it's easy to say, well, it's just prophetic. Because sure, we're going to look at Acts 2 in a minute where Peter uses it. But this is, a, this is his personal story. Something happened to him where God delivered him. But God didn't deliver him right away. That didn't happen. He, maybe he was sick to the point of death. Maybe he had something. We're not really sure. But I can tell you this, that he's excited because God didn't let him go. He didn't abandon him to death. He delivered him from something pretty spectacular here. I just wish it was recorded in the Samuels or the, the Kings. 
so we know what it is. This is where faith comes in. We don't know what it is, but we know that he was delivered from something. You know, the whole concept of resurrection wasn't even around at this time in history. They weren't even talking about it. That comes with the New Testament. And yet he's expressing some deep confidence that God has rescued him from this. Most, a lot of what you feel when you see God work in your life. And sometimes he doesn't work right away, does he? Sometimes he takes a long time. Sometimes he lets you go right to the edge. In fact, sometimes he lets you go over the cliff before he catches you. But then when he does, when he does, you feel this kind of confidence. I don't know what David went through, but it was something significant. Now look at what he says. Back to the beginning. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. This is after God had delivered him. It's always much easier to praise God with confidence after he delivers you. True? Very difficult in the middle or in the early stages of whatever the trauma is that you're experiencing. I've been there. I know what that, I know what it's like to get laid off. I know what it's like to get fired. I know what it's like to lose a spouse. I have, by God's grace, I haven't lost a child. Hope that doesn't happen. I know many of you have. I know what it's like. It's not until the end when you see God's plan unfold and him deliver you that this confidence springs up. So David had gone through this. Now he's on the other side. Now he's expressing confidence. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say to the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. I find pleasure in being with the people of God. That's what he's saying here. I find pleasure in being with the people of God because they know how to forgive. Well, they should. They know how to love. They know how to run when I'm in trouble and help. Those who run after other gods, he doesn't say pursue, he uses the word run. Those who run, boy, don't you wish people would run to our God? Those who run after the other gods will suffer more and more. A basic principle of life, because the gods are not real. When you set them up in your mind as an idol, you're going to suffer. That's what he says. You're going to suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Again, another hard phrase because the Jewish people were not allowed to order, uh, offer libations of blood. They could offer libations of wine and beer. That's what they could offer as part of the drink offering during the wor- worship ritual in the temple, but they couldn't offer blood. Blood was for sacrifice as a substitute. So whatever he's saying here, whatever this practice is, this is horrible. This is detestable to drink blood as part of a worship. He said, I'm not going to do that. In other words, I'm not going to associate I'm not going to do these evil things. Lord, you alone are my portion, my cup. You make my lot secure. All of those are words that we get from uh, uh, military strategy, imagery. Okay, the concept of portion. After the battle is done, here's each of your portions for fighting. Thank you. You get a part of the land. It's almost always came in the form of land. We're going to give you a little chunk of land. Cup. Cup always signifies in Scripture God's overflowing grace. Always. You are my portion and my cup. You are the one. Then he says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. If he had written the psalm just before God delivered him, I don't think he'd be saying these things. He'd be saying, I have, ex- I have confidence, Lord, that you will deliver me. But now he's looking back that God has done it. He said, I have confidence because you have. You have. Some of you are in the middle of your lament. And some of you are after the lament and praising God. And you're saying, oh, thank you, God. 
much what we felt when he stepped in our lives and did that so we could go to Europe. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. So day and night, he's thinking about this. Much like Nancy and I were. We couldn't stop. Wow, look what God just did. Incredible. I went to sleep thinking about it. woke up thinking about it. In the middle of the night when I wake up, I thought about it. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasure at your right hand. Do you feel the confidence in this? Well, the confidence song. Whatever God did to rescue him, he's expressing that confidence. So just a short word for those of you that are in the middle of a lament, a tragedy, a struggle, whatever. Just be patient. Let the Lord do his thing. You will save this one day. You will save this one day. Okay. Now look in Acts chapter 2 because this appears. It actually appears several places, but we're only going to look at one of them. Acts chapter 2. And here's what happened in Acts chapter 2. As Pentecost, the apostles and all the followers of Christ are hanging out in the upper room. Christ recently died. Their hopes dashed. We thought we were the Messiah. <laughs> and now you're dead. What's that all about? A dead Messiah is a failed Messiah. A Messiah who's been executed is a, is a shameful thing because God obviously is either not in control or not going to use that man. And here he is dead. And so we have the end of the Gospels when they're pretty traumatized. They're hiding out. They're hiding out behind locked doors. They don't want to be seen. They're too embarrassed and ashamed. I get it. I'd be right with them. And then Christ appears in their midst. Imagine the shock. What on earth is that all about? There he is. We've never seen a man resurrected from the dead. And here he is in our midst. Can you imagine the confusion to go from hope to despair, to shock, to absolute utter amazement. I can't even begin to picture the confusion. No wonder it took them decades to write the New Testament. They had to figure all that out, right? And then just a short, short, short time later, they're all together in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes. Acts 2, Pentecost. Wow. That's an awful lot of emotional roller coaster in a very short period of time. 50 days. That's a whole lot of emotional roller coaster, but that's what they did. So how in the world are they going to make sense of it? Because in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 13, when they were all speaking in tongues, the town, and some people have said there's as many as a million people in the town by now, Jerusalem, because this was one of the three festivals all the Jewish men, and most of them brought their families, had gathered around. So they're all together, and they go, what on earth is going on? These people are drunk. They've had too much wine. That's what, the, that's what the perception of the town, their own townspeople was. These people are drunk. They've been drinking. And Peter's going, whoa, 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 whoa. It's way too early in the morning to be drinking. Okay. <laughs> it's a great story. What is that all about? Picture yourself in their position. All of your townspeople have turned against you. They're mocking you. They're saying you're drunk. You didn't have anything to do with it. This is God's way of stepping in into world history and changing the course of history.
And so you've seen your Messiah get executed and the loss of hope. You've watched him raised from the dead. Now you're confused. Then he leaves you. He leaves you. He goes back into God's house. He leaves you. What are you supposed to do? For me, I go fishing. What are you supposed to do? So they're just hanging out and just praying and say, God, we, we have no idea what to do now. This is so beyond us, we can't even imagine. We don't even know where to go. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to say to our neighbors. How in the world are we going to tell our neighbors, but we saw him, he's alive. Yeah, huh? we saw him executed. What do you mean he's alive? So God does this fantastic thing and sends his spirit, and the whole city hears it and knows about it. So God steps in in a way that you did not expect. What would you do? What would you say? This is where this confidence comes forward. Because Peter, all of a sudden, all the light bulbs came on. And he stands up and he says, Fellow Jews, verse 14, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. See, the light bulb just came on. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, for crying out loud. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So he answers their question, why in the world all this commotion? And he quotes Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your daughters and sons will prophesy. Your young men will see. On and on and on. He quotes Joel too. Then he's done. He's answered their question. This is a, pro- this is a fulfillment of Joel. But he doesn't stop there. He's, I think in his mind he said, too good of an opportunity to pass up. He goes on. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. You saw it too, just like we did. You're not stupid. You saw it. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. I love that. God's responsible. He was handed over to you by God's plan, but you're the one that gets blamed because you're the one to put him to death. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. You see, Peter, before I read the next verse, Peter doesn't have a New Testament. It hasn't been written yet. This is just 50 days after Christ died. There's no New Testament. There's no manual to go to to find out what, what the answers are. He is trusting his knowledge of the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit. So he's looking back at the Old Testament now that he's come through this experience of the crucifixion and the confusion and all of a sudden the Spirit appears out of nowhere, he's looking back at the Old Testament in light of all these events and he begins to make sense of these passages. So Joel, this is what Joel was talking about. This must be what David was talking about. Verse 25, I saw the Lord always before me. This is the quote from the Psalm 16 we just read. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You've made life known to me, the paths of life. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with your joy in your presence. You see, when he looked back at the psalm, you know what he thought? There's something more here. There's something deeper under the surface. This is what we refer to when we talk about theology. Yeah, God rescued David, and that becomes a model. 
By the way, God rescued me, and I become a martyr. He rescued David, and that's a model. There's something deeper underneath this. They hadn't quite figured it out yet. That begins to unfold as they start to write the New Testament. They begin to understand eternal life and resurrection. But what they did see was Jesus did not go through decay. He did not die. David, his life is an example that helps them understand Christ. Jesus. And this is someone's personal story. We're just where we were three weeks ago. The psalm is an invitation into someone's life because your life models what God is doing. Every one of you, if I could sit and have coffee, I would hear about trauma. I would hear about lament. I would hear about God's deliverance. And then I would hear about confidence and praise. And that's exactly what Peter's doing. But he now sees it in Jesus and he's applying it to Jesus. That's how God works. He works in ways that you understand. He works in ways that make sense to you so that you can grasp the truth of the gospel that God really cares about this entire creation, including every single one of you. That's the gospel. That's why it's called the good news. He really does care. And Peter saw that with Jesus because he had David, his story. Just like I try to share my story and you see it, and that helps you understand. So if you're in the middle of your lament, back up two weeks, be patient. I know it hurts. I know it's painful. I get it. Be patient. Let the Lord have his way and see what happens. If you're past that and you've seen God's deliverance, rejoice. Stand with those who are in the middle of a lament. Stand with those who are struggling. Because you were the ones that have the confidence. You know, in the middle of the lament, you don't have the confidence. I didn't. That comes afterwards when you look back. Does that make sense? Psalm 5, Psalm 16, two sides of an experience, and both of them point us to Jesus and the gospel, the fact that God does care. Yes, God is going to take you through some tragic stuff. That's going to happen for many of you. I'm sorry. But it is going to happen patient. Then you can express confidence as the Lord delivers you. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, if I had only experienced tragedy, I don't know if I would have the same confidence I do today. If I had only experienced the loss of a wife without your blessing, I would feel very hopeless and desperate. But Lord, I know that there are people sitting right here today that are at that place. They feel that desperate. Lord, be kind to them. Be merciful. Bless them, Lord. Take them through it. Get them out of it. Get them back to the place where they experience your grace. Please, God. And for, Lord, those of us that have gone through it and can look back now with confidence, show us how to help those who are in the middle of tragedy. But most importantly, thanks for sending your son who would go through the very experiences we go through so that we would understand. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. After the sermon, we, uh, for those of you that are visitors, we do two things. We take an offering and we do communion. Both of them, we ask that you just pray about them. Let them be a response to what you might have just experienced with the Lord.
And a uh, special word of thanks to the visitors here. Uh, we're a small church, about 230 members. If we were just by ourselves, we would not be doing this. The reason why this works is because of you. You're the ones that make it work. Thanks for your generosity. Just want to say thank you. And for our own people, thank you for your faithfulness. Sunday, out, Sunday after Sunday, always taking good care of us. Thank you. Psalm 102 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name, and forget not all of his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 